0: You're listening to Football, Philosophy, and Rocket Science, a Cleveland Browns podcast, a show where a philosopher and a rocket scientist try to make sense of the Cleveland Browns. The Football, Philosophy, and Rocket Science podcast is a part of the Fanatical Elves podcast network, a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Here are your hosts, Elliot Kennell and Joel Cade.
1: Hi, and welcome to Football, Philosophy, and Rocket Science. This is a special show, a tribute to the late, great Jim Brown. He is the left guard, Dr. Joel Cade, philosophy professor at the left guard. I'm the Village Elliot at TH Village Elliot. And together, uh, we're gonna talk about Jim Brown, who is the, in the minds of many football experts, the greatest football player to ever play the game. And he passed away um, yesterday, I believe. And uh, we're gonna talk about some of the uh, unique aspects of his life. Uh, Not everybody knows about uh, his record as an athlete. In addition to being a football player, he was also a movie star, social activist, a community leader. He also played uh, lacrosse and many people called him the greatest college lacrosse player of all time. and, uh, he was a basketball player, college basketball star, uh, track star, by the way, he played defense in college football. I don't know if everybody knew that. And, uh, he played baseball, uh, track and field that I mentioned that, and he played just about everything. Well, he was an amazing athlete, much like Jim Thorpe, uh, in the first part of the uh, 20th century. So, um there's a lot to cover and we can probably talk uh, all day about, uh, Jim Brown, but, uh,
0: Joe, would you like to lead us off with a, a few comments? Sure. I mean, the first time we're here, we're going to talk about Jim Brown as a multi-sport athlete. Uh, just wanted to plug my other podcast. What the elf was that we, um, I put together a podcast just explaining just how good of a football player. Jim Brown was, um, Jim Brown was an amazing athlete, amazing football player, running back, Um, his numbers are just off the charts. Um, Some of the things he did was off the charts, and some of the circumstances he did it within um, really kind of demonstrates not only is he just a very good athlete, but he was the guy in the NFL in terms of being a running back. So with that out there, yeah, Jim Brown, amazing, amazing athlete. Yeah, did you talk about him as a uh, defensive back? I did not talk about him as a defensive back. A I had no player. idea he actually played defense in college. I mean, between running the ball, returning kicks, kicking field goals, I had no idea he's back there at safety, catching interceptions also.
1: Yeah, he, not only did he play defensive back, he was a starter on defense. He, he uh, led the team, I believe, in interceptions. And uh, he really did everything uh, uh, on, for the football team. He, I believe, was the first player to cross the color line uh, for the Syracuse Orangemen, and uh, yet he wasn't even uh, on full scholarship. It took a wealthy uh, alum to sponsor him. Uh, Syracuse promised that he would be put on scholarship. They reneged on the deal, and uh, so... Uh, so how do you prep. go to
0: a school and play four sports at that school and not be on scholarship? I mean, a lot of people just go oh, play one sport and they're on scholarship, a full oh, it's scholarship.
1: Very, it, it's very easy. Uh, you have to be born uh, African-American. And that's, that's all that it takes and go to a uh, um, high, very high-class uh, university. Well, I don't want to slander you know, Syracuse.
0: I know it was the time and day, but... Man, this guy was out there playing lacrosse. I mean, we can get into some of the lacrosse if you want. Out there, just the possibly the greatest lacrosse player to ever play lacrosse. The Professional Lacrosse League even named their MVP award after Jim Brown. Yes,
1: yes. You, you absolutely uh, ha- have to understand the time and the culture of... Uh, the United States of America, and you know, even today we have stereotypes about America, and I don't mean just racial stereotypes about uh, African-Americans, but about ourselves. It, uh, the, uh, the, uh, Jim Crow was the law in many, if not all, uh, states of the former Confederacy, but it was also practiced in the North, uh, even though it was not part of necessarily the legal system. There were all these informal rules that were practiced where African Americans were not allowed to do certain things, and they were not allowed to practice in uh, athletics in uh, many schools uh, north of the Mason-Dixon line, and that included football at Syracuse. They also, by the way, had a rule that they decided to have at Syracuse where they were not allowed to have... Uh, three African-American players uh, uh, starting on the team. And it turned out that their th- three best players uh, by the time uh, Brown was a sophomore, I think, was, were African-Americans. It was absolutely clear.
0: Talk about the basketball team. Maybe basketball I missed that. Team. Yeah. Okay.
1: They couldn't have three uh, African-American starters. And so they said, well, you know, we're, we're just not going to um, – start three and so jim brown said okay i'll make it simple for you Uh, i'm just not going to play um and jim brown was second on the team in scoring uh with uh 15 points per game as a freshman and uh you know he was just outstanding as a basketball player it was not just that he played basketball but he was outstanding as a freshman he was he probably was the best player on the team. And if not, he was number two. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a senior, he probably would have been um, uh, All-American or very close to it. And uh, yeah. Yeah, they, it isn't they,
0: amazing just how much we've damaged our society with with some of this stuff we've done in our past in terms of just people basically for the color of their skin. Here comes this transcendent athlete. I mean, people like if you ever see Miles Garrett in person you look at him and you think that is not natural for that for a human being to look like that right how does somebody get that big that fast that muscular can bend that low it's it's like they're otherworldly it's like they're not even a part of the human race you know that's just how transcendent of a person they are like athletically and jim brown was really one of these players just everything he touched athletically turned to gold
1: well, you know, it, it's not even really that. It's, to tell the truth, the there are a lot of big people in the world. There, there are people, you know, that that I went to high school with that were as tall as Miles Garrett and that weighed as much as Miles Garrett. But what amazes me about football players is you get guys. Uh, uh, Reggie White comes to mind that could pick up an offensive lineman with one hand and just throw him.
0: This is what I'm uh, saying.
1: Literally, I mean, it's the strength. Uh, the quickness, the agility that are just, um, interplanetary.
0: Yeah. It's just like, it's like they're they're from a different planet. Like,
1: and and yeah. And and I'll tell you what is that I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but in the, uh, uh, 2017 draft, uh, for a long time, I was resistant to anointing miles Garrett as the number one pick. And I, I had, uh, uh another defensive lineman in in mind i was not a fan of drafting a quarterback number one at any time in 2017 i didn't think there were any quarterbacks that deserved to be taken number one i did think that there were uh quarterbacks that deserved to be first round but not Mm -hmm. ascendant talents that should be taken number one overall right as you know i'm not really a big fan of uh quarterback superman theory um necessarily correct somebody in every draft that's a transcendent talent um but okay but uh make a long story short i didn't realize that miles garrett was playing on a sprained ankle most of that year and and i saw him not being dominant against uh, certain teams notably
0: alabama I remember watching that Alabama game. They did everything they could to avoid Miles Garrett. Yeah, That kind of gets back to my point, right? There are certain people who by themselves can absolutely take over a football game. We're not talking about just, you know, hey, we'll take over Pee Wee League because they develop a little bit faster. Or, you know, they're kind of bigger in eighth grade when everybody else hasn't Mm -hmm. caught up with them. This is a grown man who just looks like he is playing a different game against other grown men
1: finish my story but you know but I, anyway i liked cam robinson did a good job against miles in that particular game in alabama but anyway what what uh absolutely did me in was uh you know i had this running argument with a guy who's a football coach in texas browns fan and he really knows this stuff he's hardly ever wrong and he was telling me no 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 miles garrett is the number one pick you're he's kennel you're absolutely full of it and uh miles garrett is the number one pick and then when the combine results came out and uh he did a vertical leap that was uh was significantly higher i forget what the number was but it was higher than odell beckham jr and he bench pressed the entire training room at the same time and i just laughed i said okay i give up you are absolutely right this guy is the absolute number one draft pick there is Mm -hmm. no question after that, And then I learned also at that time that he had had a severely sprained ankle, uh, for the game, you know, that I watched, uh, you know, very closely because my dad's an Alabama fan and I watched the Alabama game, whether I want to or not. And, uh, yes, Cam Robinson did have a very good game against Miles Garrett, but there was a reason for that, that Miles Garrett was not able to run at full speed at that game. And, uh, so, uh, you know that there's a difference between being a star and a superstar Mm -hmm. uh, but you know when he's fully healthy miles garrett is a actual superstar
0: anyway yeah and and to reiterate my point on that it's just that alabama ran away from miles garrett they did everything offensively they could think of to not have to deal with miles garrett and this was Mm -hmm. a man that was on a broken or a high ankle sprain, and Mm -hmm. and i think that comes back to jim brown right jim brown is one of those players that that you give him the ball and he's running through people like jim brown ran or played football in the 1950s and 60s in the nfl defenses in that day and age lined up a player on every single offensive lineman and the popular formation was the split back formation with two tight ends so you've got seven people across the front so then you have seven linemen defensive lineman across the front with two linebackers behind. So you're talking about a nine man box that Jim Brown is running against on a regular time. Like when you, when you get an eight man box in today's NFL teams immediately audible to a pass because they know they're going to have space open behind the linebackers. When you get to a nine man box in today's NFL you're not only you audibly to a pass, but you're audibly to a quick pass because you know you're about to get blitzed like Buddy Ryan blitzes you or Greg William blitzes you, and you're going to be in trouble. They would take nine-man boxes, right, and hand the ball off to Jim Brown, and he would still gain five yards. He averaged 5.2 yards a carry for his career against nine-man boxes. It's out of this world. Like, who does that? Yeah, that's true. It was, a lot of his best years were um, done at a time when
1: the Browns didn't have a quarterback because Otto Graham had retired, and it took a while before they found. Uh, 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 oh my God, Dr. Frank Ryan. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, and you know, for most of his career, the Browns did not have a, a really good quarterback, and uh, so yeah, it was everything was uh, down to Jim Jim Brown. Um, Ellie, let's uh,
0: let's switch gears here and move on to our next topic here. Jim Brown as a social activist. I know well, you've got a lot.
1: Jim Brown as a baseball pitcher. Why didn't the Indians sign him? I don't know. A man, he threw two no-hitters in high school. He, he played baseball. He ran track. He ran the decathlon just mm-hmm. like Thorpe. He didn't even practice. He just, <laughs> you, you know, he, he's like a... Uh, uh, like uh, J.C. Treader for the Cleveland Browns, never practiced.
0: <laughs> I think, think there's I different talking types about of practice. <laughs> Talk
1: about practice, not a game. We're talking about practice. Jim Brown didn't practice; <laughs> he just showed up for the decathlon, and he, you know, he placed nationally. If he'd have trained for it, I think he would have made the Olympic team, just like Jim Thorpe. And uh, uh, he was just so outstanding, and. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, he he did all of that stuff, the, the same stuff that Jim Thorpe did, and he excelled at it all. And and uh, he, he was just – is there anything that he was not good at? I, I don't believe that he ever established a record at tiddlywinks, um, <laughs> but I put it past him.
0: He probably owned that game too.
1: You know, so, he, yeah, he played defense. He played, he played the same position as Otto Graham. <laughs> They both played defensive back and they played both ways. And uh, man, they're just, you know, take that Tom Brady. Did you ever, (laughs) did you ever play defensive back? Both of those guys played, uh, you know, excuse me, not Brady, but Jim Brown and Otto Graham both played uh, basketball. Otto Graham is the guy that had a a world championship ring in basketball uh, before he played football. Uh, Jim Brown played college basketball at a very, very high level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he could have played any professional sport that he wanted, would have wanted to, I believe. He could have played baseball, could have played basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't know if he played hockey, but he probably could have. Probably. He grew, yeah, he grew up, by the way, in uh, New York. Uh, he grew up in a in a high school environment that was uh, – mainly uh, upper middle class, maybe even upper class, uh, predominantly white kids. And so he grew up uh, with, a, you know, sort of a multicultural perspective. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was able to function in uh, uh, different uh, classes of people, you know, not, uh, uh, you know, conforming to the stereotypic uh, Um, African-American athlete that came from, uh, uh, you know, a segregated background or whatever, but he Mm -hmm. he was able to, to relate to people from different backgrounds and, uh, different parts of society. He was able to move between different sectors of society, very well-spoken, extremely intelligent. And, uh a lot of people didn't like that they weren't comfortable
0: with that so transitioning again here to the social activist part of Jim Brown having grown up in that multi kind of cultural uh, environment in high school how do you think that impacted him so that he would become a social activist when he's in the height of his popularity
1: well you know it was very uh, good for him it wasn't just luck that he wound up with the Cleveland Browns You know, we pointed out in a previous podcast that uh, Cleveland is one of the few cities where, uh, first of all, that uh, uh, African-Americans could be employed at high-level positions, first of all, in the sports world, uh, but also because it was a northern industrial town, uh, African-Americans were able to obtain highly paid positions. Uh, in industry, uh, the steel industry, for example, uh, employed uh, uh, African American people in uh, uh, positions that allowed them to own houses in communities like Shaker Heights. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the uh, there was a upper middle class in uh, greater Cleveland, um, and um. Uh, Cleveland was a city that elected an African-American mayor in, uh, I think, 1968, Carl Stokes. And so it was a town, I don't want to say, I don't want to try to say that it was a perfect town or that it was a uh, panacea in some way, but it was much more progressive than mm-hmm. yes. other by Progressive heart.
0: leaning, yep. Yeah.
1: If we're gonna use a real yardstick that was available uh in the United States of America uh Cleveland would rank very highly in terms of uh places where uh, free speech and thought uh, economic development was possible
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um uh, so they know, even had
0: that sports summit the Cleveland was a Cleveland summit with yeah uh, Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali and Lou slash Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Over, I'm going well, I know Elliot, you're the guy who knows about this stuff. I know football. I don't, I mean, philosophy yeah, so, and football. That's, that's what I know. That's <laughs> correct.
1: A very serious, uh, issue, national issue, when Muhammad Ali decided that his religion uh, prohibited him from responding to the uh, draft. Uh, during the time of the Vietnam War. And he said that uh, he was not going to go based on uh, religious objections. And that is what was uh, uh, required by the leader of the Nation of Islam. And that was that. And uh, uh, and uh, that uh, was... Uh, You know, Muhammad Ali was convicted by an all-white jury, uh, and uh, that decision was ultimately overturned by the Supreme Court,
0: Mm -hmm. uh,
1: which which is the highest uh, authority in the land. Uh, But at the time, and I I think this is 1967, it wasn't clear which way uh, people were going to support, even within the african-american athletic community there was a debate you know do we want to get involved with this do we want to support muhammad mm-hmm. ali do we even want to call him muhammad ali maybe we should refer to him by his given name of cassius clay uh, is you know maybe we should uh, ask him to adopt a compromise position that he would go into the army and teach athletics you know that he could teach boxing to uh the uh, army boxing team and not have to go to war. Um, but I don't think that the issue for uh, Muhammad Ali was one of cowardice or wanting to avoid war. Uh, his issue was that he felt that there was a religious uh, um, uh, prohibition against joining the American military. I mm-hmm. don't think he was afraid I think he was willing, very willing to, uh, risk his life, uh, but not under the, uh, conditions that, uh, existed at that point in time. I, you know, I don't. And so, uh, you
0: know, Jim Brown was there as a part of that conference, a part of the press conference, a part of the. And it was Mm -hmm. held
1: at the, um, uh, organization, uh, the building that Jim Brown, um, I don't know if he was the partial owner or the uh, uh, focal point uh, for the uh, uh, economic union. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the name of it is, but it was, essentially it was the African-American Economic Union that was on uh, Euclid Avenue. Uh, and Jim Brown was the um, coordinator or the president uh, at that time. And the purpose of that was to promote Small businesses uh, in the uh, Cleveland East Side. So it was all about economic development and about uh, ownership uh, of uh, minorities uh, in economically depressed areas. So Jim Brown was intensely interested in giving back to the communities. He was not just about uh, making a pile of money and. you know, enjoying himself and uh, chasing pretty girls and doing all that. Although he did.
0: (laughs) Apparently he did that stuff too. So we're coming up on a break here, Elliot. Is there anything you want to jump in real quick before we go to commercial break? No, I think that's mainly it. Community
1: development, social activism. That was part of Jim Brown as well. There's also a uh, more uh, sinister side that we'll talk about as well
0: after the break. After the break, all right, guys, gonna take a break, gonna pay the bills. On the other side, we'll we'll come back to Paul Brown or Paul Jim Brown's personal struggles and Jim Brown as a community leader. All right, hang on. I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg.
1: This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons.
0: This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. And we're back from the break. Uh, coming back, we're still talking about Jim Brown, uh, recently deceased. And we're kind of surveying some of the things that he's done off the field. We've talked about him as a multi-sport athlete. We've talked about him as a social activist. And now we're going to kind of cover some of the dark side of Jim Brown, some of the struggles he's had in his life. Um, again, Elliot, I'm going to let you jump in here and I'll comment.
1: Well, I think we ought to back up a little bit to about 1962 first. Okay. Some of the -the off-the-field issues that uh, first came up was perhaps the power struggle between Jim Brown and Paul Brown, the coach who the Cleveland Browns are named after, Mm -hmm. and then Arthur Modell. Uh, At the time, there was a thought that, uh, you know, the Browns were, for the first time in a long time, uh, not winning every year. The Browns fans were used to going to the championship game every single year. Uh, The the Browns, believe it or not, it's hard to imagine in today's environment, but the Browns went to the championship game every single year for 10 years in a row. And I think they won uh, seven out of uh, ten.
0: Now take that, Tom Brady. Yeah,
1: definitely. yeah. Well, Brady's got seven <laughs> teams, but he didn't get s- seven out of ten, uh, ten, ten and ten. consecutive years, years. over <laughs> the over the AAFL and the NFL. That's correct. And uh, so, uh, you know, if the Cleveland Browns finished second, that was a disaster. The, oh my gosh, you know, Paul Brown has lost it. He's out of touch. The Green Bay Packers have caught up and that Vince Lombardi is way ahead. And, and, uh, Paul Brown is stuck in the 1950s. Now it's the 1960s and we've got to make a change. Got to fire Paul Brown. And, um, so that was, you know, that, and, and, um, Uh, whether rightly or not, the perception was that uh, Jim Brown was one of the players that wanted to have Paul Brown gone. Okay. Uh, Some of the things, you know, there's also this struggle between Paul Brown and, and author Modell. And the reason, Mm -hmm. the big reason that uh, Modell fired Paul Brown was because the, uh, uh, the, team had actually been promised to Paul Brown based on a handshake that, uh, um, after a certain period of time that, that Paul Brown's percentage ownership of the Cleveland Browns was going to increase and that it was going to be turned over to him. And that's based on a handshake. Well, then Arthur Modell comes in, Art Modell comes in and buys the team. And, uh, I don't know anything about any handshake. What do you mean a handshake? And, you know, of course. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, absolutely valid that the Mm -hmm. team has really been promised to two different people. It's been promised to Paul Brown by a handshake. And it's been uh, sold to Art Modell with something more than a handshake. He's got a document proving that he owns the team. Mm -hmm. And I think really, um, Having a multi-million-dollar enterprise, you really have to go by uh, the written contract. Who actually owns the team? Well, it's Art Modell, and this business about the handshake is kind of uh, uh, lopsided thinking. And you really can't blame Art Modell for buying the team that's been offered to him. You have to blame the uh, the. First owner of the Cleveland Browns, that's McBride. And I forgot his first name. Let me just look that up. Uh, um, Even uh, in the process the, there, right? Mickey, Jim Brown. Archie, Mickey, and- McBride. Mickey McBride was the founder okay. of the Cleveland Browns. And supposedly they had this handshake deal that it was going to become Paul Brown's team after a certain part. If they wanted to give the team to, um, uh, Paul Brown, they should have just given it to him from the get-go. I mean, come on. They named it after him. Uh, But, uh, you know, this just didn't make any sense. Mm. It it really didn't make any sense. Anyway, so they they sold the team to uh, Modell, and the expectation was that, oh, okay, Modell is going to honor the handshake and then just give away the team that he just bought. And that really, in my mind, doesn't make any sense. Anyway, so Waddell solves the problem by ultimately firing Paul Brown. But in between, something that Paul Brown did that really made everybody mad was he trades away a star player. uh, And uh, that would be – oh, man, I forgot (laughs) – you know, once you turn sixty, you forget stuff like that. Who's the the uh, halfback turned wide receiver for uh, Washington?
0: Um, you stump me, Bobby Bobby Mitchell.
1: That, Bobby that, that Mitchell, makes sense. Uh, was the halfback, and Jim Brown played fullback. And two things happened. One is they trade that for the draft rights to Ernie Davis, who um, unfortunately. Had leukemia and died right. without a it down in the NFL. Secondly, uh, Mitchell goes to Washington, uh, and uh, you know they were in a down period, uh, not playing well, and he goes and has an absolutely phenomenal year. And uh, well, <clears throat> maybe you just don't do that. Uh, trade away a star player, and then have him lead the NFL in reception yards, and you were playing him at halfback. It turns out that he's the best wide receiver in the NFL. So uh, that combination of things leads to Paul Brown being fired by Art Modell, and it actually sounds pretty convenient. Let's blame it on Jim Brown. How about that? So. It's a convenient uh, excuse. So I had to fire him. It
0: was Jim Brown's fault. Because Jim Brown said the game was passing him by. And we think that may be true because of what Bobby Mitchell just did in Washington.
1: Yeah. The, you know, mm. there's evidence. And so it, it you know, um, in, in some ways, it, you know, it might've been true that, that Jim Brown uh, clashed with his coach, but it was kind of a scapegoat. Uh, as well i think okay okay so there's there's that and then later uh, there's problems with jim brown becoming a movie star how did that happen somehow hollywood finds out about jim brown being this fabulous athlete and enormously popular mm-hmm. they start starring him in movies and uh there's an enormous controversy that erupts in 1967 and they're filming a war movie called the dirty dozen and uh, production goes into overtime and Jim Brown is late for training camp. And, uh, Art Modell says, you can't be late for training camp. Don't you know that I'm Arthur Modell? And, um, so he expects Jim Brown to come crawling into camp and, I'm sorry, I'm late now. Please forgive me. And uh, (laughs) Well, uh, so basically what happened was that uh, Jim Brown says, you know, Art, I'm actually making more money from Hollywood than you're paying me to play football. So I think I'm just going to retire rather than put up with your uh, temper tantrums. And so, really, Art Modell ran Jim Brown out of town, too. So, not only does he run off the greatest coach in pro football history, he also runs off the greatest player in pro football history as well.
0: And Um, and later, moving forward, he runs off with the team, and he also runs off Bill Belichick after he moves the team. So, this guy doesn't have a great track record. It, yeah,
1: yeah. So, I've got a lot
0: of hate built up for Art Modell.
1: Yeah, he does. And, yeah, and he also trades away all pro players. Um, you know, we mentioned that in another show that he traded away Paul Warfield. Right. Uh, traded away Ron Johnson, who became an all pro. He traded away Clifton McNeil, who became all pro. And the reason was because Art Modell figured that he was a football genius never played football. Nevertheless, he could make trades without the help of a general manager. And, uh, it just really didn't work well. So he gave away Brown's had phenomenal talent. The front office kept on creating, um, all pro players in Art model, kept on trading them away.
0: Let's, uh, <laughs> let's pull this back to Jim Brown here. So yeah, Jim Brown's okay. struggling on the team. He quits the team. He decides to make movies. Um, What else we got going on in that direction? Well, okay.
1: So uh, we have Jim Brown, the fabulous movie star, and uh, using his fame uh, not just for his own uh, financial gain, but attempting to share that uh, with the uh, community, uh, attempting to... uh, work towards, uh, correcting the, uh, social ills of the day and, uh, you know, putting, or giving back to society. So I think you, you're seeing a person that has a, uh, social awareness and a social conscious, not somebody that is, uh, a selfish person. Um, but there's also a, uh, A limitation that he had he's not able was not able to be a superstar as a social activist or a community leader because of the problems that he had in his personal life Mm -hmm. and uh, you know that is that he had legal issues uh, uh, with uh, personal violence and um, yeah and actually uh, let
0: me um I'll, I'll, while you're looking this up, I'll just jump in here. You know, as someone who does philosophy and and philosophy in many ways is about what is the human condition and and how do we active or totally actualize ourselves as human beings and become fully the best thing we could be. I mean, Jim Brown kind of is one of those people that is very human while at the same time being transcendent. He's transcendent in one area of his life, right? He's he's an athlete. He's a community leader, but the very human element comes in with him with some of his personal life and some of the struggles he has in in life. So I think a good lesson to learn is and what can you take away from a philosophical perspective is, you know, people can transcend in some areas. They can be great basketball players. They can be great football players. They can be great track stars, great lacrosse players. But that doesn't mean that they're transcendent in other areas of their life. They may not be the transcendent ethical person. They may not be the transcendent uh, community integration. They may not handle their money well. They may have addiction issues that sometimes we take our athletes and we put them on a pedestal for what they can do athletically and think that they can be more than that when everyone has limitations as a human being. And sometimes we may expect more. Than people can give us. Now I don't fault yeah. I don't I don't fault people for that, like for having those expectations, and I don't fault people for being people. I, I think it's a matter of, um, you know, certain successes in some areas may lead to deficiencies in others. What do you think, Elliot? Yeah, I well I think, um, yeah, you what we don't
1: want to say is that because Jim Brown was a great athlete that we should excuse some of the uh, crimes that he may have committed or uh, misdemeanors, I should say. Um, But uh, Or we shouldn't say, on the other hand, that because he's committed uh, misdemeanor assault, that his accomplishments as a social activist or as a community leader don't count neither of those uh uh generalizations are are valid
0: well i I agree with you completely on that
1: one we do have to to look at uh at all sides i do have a list in front of me uh from wikipedia i hope that they're right um but what wikipedia claims is that uh, brown was arrested seven times for assault um and that uh uh, he was convicted of misdemeanor battery uh, for beating his golfing partner, Frank Snow. I guess Frank must have beat him, I don't know, or one at golf, I don't know. But anyway... Um, I, I think that was a physical assault. Yeah, I shouldn't have joked about that. But anyway, so he was sentenced to a day in jail, two years probation, and a fine of $500. Okay, he was charged with uh, rape, and those charges were later dismissed. He was charged with assault. Those charges were dismissed, and he was released, charged for making terrorist threats uh, towards his wife, Monique, but that was, uh, those charges were dropped. I think she he recanted on, on uh, those uh, uh, complaints that were, were made. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was found guilty of vandalism for smashing her car with a shovel. Okay? So he was sentenced to three years probation, one year of domestic violence counseling, and 400 years of community service. Okay? So, you know, those I doubt if he got
0: 400 years of community service, maybe 400, 400 hours. hours. Yeah, there we go. I exaggerate. (laughs) Maybe he deserved 400 years. I don't know. Yeah, I'm one of those law and order types,
1: so I tend to read into things.
0: I I do think, and I think this is, uh, I mean, I just, again, back to the philosophical perspective on some of this, I think as fans, we tend to idolize these players, and we make them out to be more than what they are. And and it's okay to have idols, and I think it's okay to have heroes. Um, It just becomes a kind of a harder fall when we realize that these heroes we've lifted up are really human like the rest of us in other areas of life. And I don't know if we expect too much out of football players. I mean, Mike Patton was out there always saying you don't win football games with boy scouts and I don't know. We should celebrate what they can do athletically, but I don't think we should, you know, expect much. I don't know how to put this eloquently, we can't expect them to be transcended in every aspect of their life. And we have to understand that their prowess may be football, but it may not be anything else. And some people in today's day and age, you know, the athlete has to be the community leader, the social act which which Jim Brown was right. And they got to be this way and that way and that way. And these expectations are so unrealistic and so high that we almost set our athletes up for failure just because we expect them to be something that, no human being could be.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'll look at it this way. It's like um, if you're an accountant, y- you know, you've got uh, credits and debits. You've got some stuff that's written in black ink and some that's written in red ink. And both mm-hmm. of those count. You don't right. overlook the red ink just because you've got a bunch of stuff in the you know the plus column. Both of those things are real, and you don't overlook either one. They both they both count. So I think it's a mistake to say that, well, just because I've got a bunch of uh, credits, I'm going to ignore the uh, debits or vice versa. They both mm-hmm. count. They both make up the total person. And don't say that you're going to gloss over some um, negatives just because there are positives, uh, but don't also... Uh, say that because of the uh, negatives that that uh, the uh, positives don't count. N- neither statement is correct.
0: Well, I agree, and I think sometimes we get to the point where we think that that accountant has to have nothing but black. Yes. There has to be absolutely zero red, and if there's one red thing, we're going to cancel that person. And I, I don't think that that's a real-life scenario. I mean, everyone has red entries into their accounting book. Everyone. I don't care who you are. You have red entries in your accounting book. It's not all black. It's not all perfect. It's not all great. It's not all and the expectation to think that it has to be that is unrealistic. Like the average football player, and I don't get into a lot of this, but like you're not talking about people who've lived the same kind of lives we have when you get into the NFL. They've they've because of their athletic greatness They've been given certain privileges, and sometimes people, characters, arise out of those certain privileges and expectations of those privileges. I'm not saying everyone's like this, mm-hmm. but this is a reality for, for mm-hmm. transcendent mm-hmm. athletes. It's hard to believe or expect that somebody is perfect in all aspects of their life, and you can't just trash them or throw them away because they do have negative spots. Everyone has mm-hmm. negative spots. Oh, 12.
1: Yeah, I've got, you know, if you look behind me, Joel, there's uh, two or three pictures of Jim Brown on my wall. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can see uh, on the upper left and also in the center is the uh, Cleveland Summit and Jim Brown in the center there. So you can say in a sense that I have idolized Jim Brown. That does not mean that I have denied that he uh, spent time in jail. Right. I believe that he probably deserved it. Probably. That does not mean that I'm... Style about that, and I'm or or that okay or that you're
0: less of a or that you're less of a football fan because yeah, what we liked about yeah, Jim it, Brown was he was a football player, right? May yeah, not like, and, yeah, we may not like Jim you know, Brown the the person in his personal life, but we like Jim Brown the football player.
1: Well, I you know I think I would like Jim Brown um, as a person. I would uh, you know there were things about Jim Brown I probably would not like, but you know on the other hand, I'll tell you what I've been a uh, Salvation Army volunteer. I have worked with people that were uh, convicted murderers, and I have worked with them to uh, uh, assist them in rehabilitation. I did not give up on them because that they had uh, done things that were wrong. I did not,
0: uh, mm-hmm.
1: you know, there are things that I did not want to uh, encourage them to relive or to continue. Certainly, right. Right. I believe that there are people that will. Uh, hopefully change and grow for the better. Uh, hopefully that's you know, that's why we uh, worked with people, prayed with people, tried mm-hmm. to help them to improve themselves. Not because we thought that people would achieve perfection or that they were perfect and certainly they didn't come to the Salvation Army uh, Rehabilitation Center or they didn't come out of jail and uh, uh, come to us because they were perfect already. That's not the idea. I don't right. know that any of us are, are uh, that, that's not the reason why we like people's because we think that they are perfect or that they're free from uh, immense difficulties, immense problems, imperfections, sins, crimes, whatever. People mm-hmm. deserve jail time. That doesn't mean that I don't like them.
0: Right. But I think there are some in this world that would rather just throw people out because there are blemishes on their record. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think that's a good socially appropriate way to, to live. Um, so we're kind of up on it here, man. We have got our final thoughts. Any final thoughts, Elliot? Oh well, I didn't show all of my pictures of Jim Brown with Raquel Welch and stuff.
1: Like, you want to see them? You want to take some extra? We're already in uh, overtime. You want to go into double
0: overtime? Uh, sure. Let's see if we can do double overtime. Yeah, let me see if I can. Uh, Forget see the anything. final thoughts. We're going into double overtime. No final thoughts. Let's get some. Let's get some pictures here. Let me get my.
1: Uh, let me get my share screen going here.
0: Oh! Oh! Oh!
1: And let's see. Okay, I think this will work. Let's see. Are we looking at uh, my uh, Microsoft Word? Yep. Okay, there's Jim. Let me a take... Uh you know. see that? There we go. Okay, there's yep. Jim
0: Brown. And here's the Cleveland Summit. And, and just you... so we can describe the picture here, this is, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, and a various host of others. There's Bill Russell, Hall of Fame basketball player for the Celtics.
1: Many people think that he was one of the, at the time, certainly, the greatest, uh, one of the greatest players Uh, At the time that he played, maybe Wilt Chamberlain was the other that we would have an argument about. And Mm -hmm. then uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar would be the next uh, player that would uh, maybe even surpass Bill Russell. We'd argue about him, Bill Russell, and Wilt, who was the best uh, at that point. And then Carl Stokes is the first mayor, uh, African-American mayor of a major city. That would be Cleveland. He was elected in 1968. And uh, let's see, I think, I think this is Willie Davis uh, of the Green Bay Packers, Hall of Famer, John Wooten of the Cleveland Browns. And, um, man, everybody else is famous too, but I don't know who they all are. But,
0: that certainly uh, is a who's who picture there.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's really, a, you know, uh, uh, a lot of people came to uh, clarify what uh, Muhammad Ali's position was going to be. And uh, they ultimately decided that they would support him uh, in his uh, position. Okay, Alan, here we go. Life is not all bad if you're Jim Brown. This is Raquel Welch, who was the, the I would say, the premier sex symbol of the uh, 1960s. She was... Uh, uh, she was so sexy that um, she was allowed to appear in Playboy magazine without taking her clothes off because she just didn't think that that was something that she wanted to do.
0: Heard it here first, people. And uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: well, How do I know that? Well, I won't answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she was absolutely stunning. And um, she starred in a Western movie with Jim Brown. And, um, you know, there are certain things you just could not do, but I guess they did. And, you know, this was, again, a groundbreaking movie where you just didn't have sex symbol. White women do things with African-Americans, but they did. Holy smokes. So, okay. All right. Well, that's Bob Babbage. So I guess we're done with the Jim Brown pictures, but I did want to show those.
0: Okay. All right. All right. Now we're on to final thoughts after double overtime.
1: Okay. Let's see. Let me stop sharing. And, um, yeah. So I, uh, yeah, Jim Brown is, uh, one of my heroes, somebody that I admire very much. Don't admire everything about Jim Brown. I think there are a lot of things Jim Brown did that were not very good. Um, but, uh, man, he really blazed a trail, uh, like no one else. And, um, uh, understand that the game of football that he played in the 1950s and 1960s is not the same game that we play today. Correct. But that game that they played in the 1960s, he was the best player that the game knew. He was the number one player in the universe when he played.
0: right. You know, I'll I'll, uh, just want to echo what you're saying. I mean, Jim Brown was the best running back in a day and age where the running back was the NFL. And not only was he the best, but he was the best by far. He has the highest rushing average for a career. He had at the time he retired the most all purpose yards. He averaged 9.5 yards a reception. So he wasn't just a running back you give the ball to. He could catch the ball and run down the field as well. Jim Brown was amazing. There's been nobody like him, no matter how much people say Emmett Smith or Barry Sanders. Emmett Smith played in over 105, 106 more games than Jim Brown and then rushed for 6,000 more yards. He doubled Jim Brown's career and ended up getting 6,000 more yards than Jim Brown. Jim Brown is absolutely transcendent The the, the greatest Player, running back, possibly even player to ever play the game. So he's not perfect, but he's Jim Brown. And I think we should be honest about who he is and accept his flaws, accept his, his uh, accolades, and just take it for what he is. We love him as a football player. This is why we talk about him. He was a transcendent football player. So uh, we'll see you guys next Wednesday with our normal football philosophy and rocket science so uh, uh, until then, thanks for listening. Thank you. Um, God bless. Thank you for listening to Football Philosophy and Rocket grab Science, at Cleveland so Browns podcast. Please to like, to subscribe, listen. and tell all your friends to give a listen. You can follow Joel on Twitter at The Left Guard and Elliot at The Village Elliot.